Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. Um, in this week's episode, we're going to answer a couple of uh, emails, and uh, and I guess we'll just get into it here in the Phoebe maybe Draper. Maybe we talk about that BYU-Kansas game. I'd rather that, not. We're not, so not talking so, about it. So we were going to talk about it. and We were. Until the fourth quarter comeback fell <laughs> fell apart, then we yeah I don't want I don't want to talk about that I don't want to talk about uh, anything college football related. Uh, Oklahoma State stinks. Boise this is State like the stinks. worst Oklahoma State's been in a long time. Like BYU what? is. I mean, is, look, problem Kansas thing, is good. Kansas is good. I mean, Arkansas. Sure. Arkansas was a play away from no, that beating game, that game was LSU. great, and it filled me with such such hope, and I was but so they still excited. lost. They did, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think you're just walking into Lawrence and coming out there with a W, and it's nope. hasn't been, and it's not, you know, the past forty five years, um, you're wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, oh, that you're meaning basketball? Uh, no, <laughs> no, in football for sure. Oh, I mean, they oh. were good. They were good. The one, by the way, um, there is something I, I don't. Know, one of the greatest uh, photographs in the history of sports is the so Kansas occasionally they'll get a good quarterback they have a good quarterback now occasionally they'll get a good quarterback and uh and when they get a good quarterback they you know they make a run do pretty well it's once every 20 years one of the greatest photographs in the history of sports is Kansas a crud when was this like 10 years ago they went to the orange bowl and with Mangino they have a picture of him Standing next to the uh, to the uh, the Syracuse or oh, the Orange Bowl mascot, orange which looks Bowl like mascot. the Syracuse Orange person, though, right? And they both. You, it's difficult to tell the two apart. It's one of my favorite photos. He of all was time. a gentleman of great carriage. Yeah, yeah. Willard yeah, Richards. He, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was big enough line. that Willard Richards would have said, "You know what? You might want to ease it back on the sweets." Yeah. Anyway, it's it's you, you've got to do the search. And then shot it. him with his multiple guns. <laughs> It's one of the greatest sports photos of, of all time. But uh, yeah, no college football. My seasons, I, I root for teams that uh, that I that I love, and they they quickly are out of any. I'm sure there's a lot of happy Ohio State fans, though. Uh yeah, yeah. You know what, Notre Dame? Go ahead and put more than six people on the field, and that'll help you out. <laughs> we don't know I'm how not... we could stop them. <laughs> They still almost did. They, they did. still they did almost it. did. Because the one guy who wasn't on the field was probably like their nose tackle who was supposed <laughs> to stop the run. Oh, man. yeah. Last week was some great college football. I, I, so on Saturdays, I lock myself in, you know, in, the, in my tower and work on dissertation stuff. But last week, there were so many good college football games. I will admit, I was less productive than usual. It was, um, it was, it was a lot Having of fun. worked on a dissertation, less productive than usual <laughs> means I stared at the screen and then went back downstairs and got some chips. Just so everyone's well, aware. One screen. I had like four screens going <laughs> with games. Oh, when I was doing my dissertation, it was a black and white TV because I didn't have a real job. So, well, um, I'm glad everyone is 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 still uh, still with us after. Uh, you know, the George Adams, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are like, you know what? If George Adams isn't really yeah. the Messiah, I'm out. <laughs> well, we have this first email. This comes to us from Larry. I have a couple of questions I have mulled over, and now I'm finally getting around to asking. I would like to be funny, but I spent uh, the rest of my days trying to be funny. I have nothing left to offer. In one of your podcasts, it almost sounds like he's a condemned man or something. Yeah, I, I spent the last two weeks of my last two weeks to live trying to find some funny way to get you guys to read this email. 
Well, so so sometimes, so first of all, he addresses it, uh, Richard. Like that's how he starts. Uh, doesn't even yeah. doesn't even pretend. And as you know, I'm an egomaniac, and that's that's the fastest way to uh, to my heart. Um, in one of your podcasts, but one of the one of the things that he does, he so anytime that an email is asked that allows for Garrett uh, to uh, spike the the volleyball. Yeah. yeah, or or the or, or whatever, whatever, whatever ball, Garrett spiking it, and so this this uh, email does allow for for that with the question of Alvin. So when we get asked a question that's really easy, you have a much better chance of getting read on the air. What is a hundred percent? So I, I knew we were recording today, but my I almost respond like when I have the ability to respond, that's when you know we want to answer that oh, question. I think I've got a little bit of a little bit of a. I've got a little bit of something up my sleeve on this, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I'm going to trick. I'm tricksing you. Uh, in one of the podcasts a while ago, you talked about differences in the Sermon on the Mount passages in the Book of Mormon versus the Bible versus the Joseph Smith translation. Do we know if under the crazy circumstances Joseph was experiencing while translating the Book of Mormon, he had a Bible handy? Maybe that was something they thought to pack when they moved to Harmony. But I have wondered. I could also see them just packing bare necessities. If he didn't have a Bible handy, that would seem to make the Isaiah and Sermon on the Mount chapters all the more remarkable. In some other podcasts, you have talked about the prevalent uh, Protestant view that baptism was not something necessary for salvation. I get that. How do you square that with the comments the preacher made at Alvin's funeral that Alvin was in hell since he had not been baptized? I'm sure you can square these without much effort, but my brain is is part of COVID fatigue. Well, thank you, Larry, for for trusting me <laughs> for not much effort. Well, so actually, it's important that he doesn't address you in the email. He addresses me, which right. uh, you're never mentioned. Uh, which is why you were all. ready to answer this email. Yeah, in fact, in fact, when we got when we when we got together, and it's like. And and you're like, hey, what emails? And I'm like, hey, you know what? I think Larry had a really good email. We should we should look at Larry's. Um, thanks for having fun. Worthwhile platform for learning more about the restoration. Keep it up, Larry. All right, uh, Larry, that's a great question. Garrett, your thoughts? Well, that's a two part question, right? Uh, I don't think we'll get two podcasts out of it. Although we could, we could devolve into a discussion about wheat prices in early New York and just see where that takes us. What do we think? Is that, is that a... Yeah, boy. If we can turn uh, two questions like this into a four-parter. We have we have received some helpful feedback from folks on that they enjoy the, the multi-parters. And so we do want to get into some uh, some more of those. Uh, season three uh, has been... A, we receive a lot of emails, and we certainly like to respond to a lot of those. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we've done apostles, apostates, apothecaries, part one, <laughs> part one and a half. Uh, and so we, we want to get into a little bit more of those, but this one, Garrett, I think we probably will be able to, to get, uh, in, in the first part of this one episode. Yeah. I think unless, you know, we wax poetic, which we never do, <laughs> uh, we, we wax philosophical, we wax our cars, we wax, uh, as a moon grows. So does our, uh, ability to respond. But so in the first one, I mean, Look, the question of does Joseph Smith have his Bible with him? Does he take it down with him when he's translating in harmony? And then, of course, you know, much of what his translation takes place is in Fayette as well. Um, these are things that you wouldn't be able to know definitively, right? Um, but we know that Joseph has a Bible, and even if Joseph doesn't have his Bible, he has ready access to Bibles everywhere. I mean, the one thing that you don't have to worry about finding in any home anywhere in America in 1828 is a Bible, right? You might find cholera. You might find dysentery. You might find someone thinking that if you get a cayenne pepper enema, it will cure you. But most importantly, there will be a Bible. So well, it's like essentially like a a uh, an end table in a Marriott. You're going to find all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. It, you so you've found cayenne pepper substances in an well, in I mean, Marriott. Well, I mean, Bibles. Uh, oh, but well, I Bibles mean, and, the Book of and, Mormon. But he probably didn't have too many of those handy. Yeah. Well, 
So uh, scholars, uh, Larry, don't really, um, you, you, the, the question of, well, what if he didn't have his Bible with him really isn't a very compelling uh, question to scholars just because the Bible is the most ubiquitous um, book on in the Western world. I was going to say on earth, but there'd be several you know, billion Muslims and, and, and uh, Hindus who would also be upset about that. But, but in, in America, certainly one of the effects of the Protestant Reformation that if you want to learn more about, we have on our premium podcast, we've been talking about that, haven't we? Uh, well, yes. So there's a couple of ways to get that. Number one way is to uh, subscribe and to uh, and to increase Garrett's filthy lucre. Number two is to be a missionary. Where myself, right? Number two is to be a missionary where I feel guilty and I give it to you for free, or to be a 13 year old. Uh, those are the three ways to get it. At what point are adults going to just start lying that they're missionaries? Well, you know what? I'm a sucker. Uh, they should start doing that immediately. Okay. So so they've already started doing that is what you're well, saying. Well, I mean, if it's, you know, first name dot last name at, you know, missionary.org, I mean, that's kind of the, it's a bit of a, a bit of a tell. I feel like we're setting ourselves up for a lot of spoofed email addresses <laughs> is what, that's what we're doing yeah. now. I first actually name, just gave a fireside to uh, uh, Richard's son's mission as well yeah. as several Awful. other missions. Yeah, all of Spain. All all three missions in Spain were there. It was uh it was it was great. I I uh I, I loved it. It was awesome. It was over Zoom, don't worry. I, I didn't fly out. Yeah, I didn't today. fly out. Yeah. I, although so so I did get the Zoom and uh so I wanted to you know, I wanted to, to see the, the, the fireside and so I, I hopped on. Everyone's on there with video. I've obvi- I obviously uh, blocked my video, and then I changed my name to just Elder. So it's 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 four pages of of pictures and videos of all these of missionaries. hundreds of elders all, and sisters, yeah, hundreds of missionaries all over Spain, and then one black just says Elder as my name as I watch Garrett's uh, fireside. I was, was very great. I was very I wanted to just ask Richard a question while I was going. Hey Richard, can you tell me that <laughs> da, 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 and then have him say we'll get our crack research squad on it. And just have the yeah. mission president not know who was talking. So there was there there were multiple parts that were great. It was about uh, primarily about uh, Joseph Smith, early part of the Restoration. Garrett um, bore a great testimony and and gave a great uh, fireside. My favorite part about Garrett's firesides are often the uh, the, the Q and A. So as good as the the presentation was, that was about forty five minutes or so. The Q and A went for about an hour and fifteen minutes until it was eleven thirty at night in Spain, and it was time for everyone to go to bed. In fact, one person that asked a question said, "Hey, just really quick, because I'm really tired. Could you?" <laughs> because so, by the way, in Spain, I in a, you know in most missions, bedtime is ten thirty, but in Spain, bedtime is eleven thirty. So they do things a little different out a in siesta. Spain. Espana. So, but my favorite part about that Q&A, by the way, was we got a couple questions and it was good and things were going along. And then somebody asked a question about polygamy. And so what happened is you had, you know, people were raising their hands, you know, virtually in, in Zoom, how you do, right? And so we had four or five questions. When I say we, I mean, I was, I, I was <laughs> smuggled myself onto the <laughs> into the anyway so we had four or five questions it was going well and then then there was a question about polygamy and garrett answered it well like he always does and then like 15 hands went up <laughs> right it the board went up like a christmas tree uh, like, oh, it was, like it was, it was the like Macy's a telephone. thanksgiving day parade and they just said okay light it that's that's what it's like. it was hilarious <laughs> so the mission president said you know we'll have to get garrett back to do a a, a fireside on just polygamy yeah, uh, in I, a couple of months i may be out of town for that one <laughs> anyway it was it was very 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 great well what back, were we talking about Spain. Back, back to our our initial question on the answer of, of joseph having a bible some things are so ubiquitous that uh, scholars um, whether they're in the church or outside of the church, would not attempt to make arguments on the basis of whether or not he had his own personal Bible with him. So, for instance, let's say Joseph doesn't have his Bible, okay? And then um, 
you know, the, the Isaiah chapters and the Matthew chapters, they're very similar. Well, a, a non Latter-day Saint scholar is simply going to say, oh, okay, well, we know Joseph left his Bible, you know, probably running through the woods as people were trying to tar and feather him as they're getting out of town in Palmyra. So how could he possibly have done that? Oh, because there's like 17,000 Bibles in between Palmyra and Harmony at every single home there's one. So they're initially in uh, Isaac Hale's home. Isaac Hale's uh, clearly someone who's very proficient in the Bible, cares about the Bible. Emma probably has her own Bible, in fact. So um, those are the types of arguments that are really intriguing. So it's a super intriguing question, Larry. I, we can say that all of the witnesses of translation all make a point when they talk about how the translation actually takes place. They all make a point of saying he did not have anything he was reading from, right? So now they don't all say that specifically, but they, when they describe the scene, they describe it as there's nothing between them and Joseph. Joseph places the seer stone, Urim and Thummim stones in the, in the hat. Joseph looks into the hat. Joseph begins dictating. And then Martin Harris, specifically to prove that people, uh, because people were claiming that Joseph was just, you know, he was just reading in the bottom of Joseph's hat. He just had a whole bunch of things like written, I guess, in pretty small type, you know, you know, imagine trying to read, you know, second Nephi in small type, you know, with the Isaiah chapters and, and that, he was just reading it off and that's how he could just pick back up where he was. And that's how it was so articulate. And that's how it was words that were clearly beyond Joseph Smith's capabilities. And so Martin Harris, that's when he, he swaps out the, the stone for another stone that looks pretty similar to it. And Joseph doesn't notice that the stone was swapped out, but he's not able to translate. So, the entire premise of Martin Harris's little, uh, uh, you know, demonstration that it really is uh, coming from God is that the words are appearing on the seer stone. Now, Joseph isn't consulting his Bible and pulling it down, or at least we don't have any sources that say that. All of our sources say that Joseph Smith translated the gold plates through through the Urim and Thummim. Would it be a little bit more of a slam dunk, right, if you could prove that Joseph didn't even have a Bible and then received as words, you know, very similar things from Isaiah and from and from Matthew? Sure, that would be a cool thing. The problem is it would just be impossible to prove in a way that would be accepted by critics anyway, right? Because even if we had a source where Joseph wrote in a letter, Dad, I totally forgot my Bible when we moved down here. Can you send it? Oh, wait, I know you don't even have enough money to send me things. Can you have Samuel run down here with it? He's my younger brother, so he can bring it to me. Um, even if you had a letter that said that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't help prove the divinity of the Book of Mormon because a critic would simply just say, yeah, well, Isaac Hale is a pretty well-off guy. Probably every single person in that family has a Bible. I'm sure Joseph has access to a Bible. No worries, right? Now, the other thing to consider, too, about this is the Isaiah portion of it is actually not in harmony. Uh, the Isaiah portion is the portion that's translated when they're in Fayette, because uh, Second Nephi is one of the last things that they translate. Remember that when the translation goes forward, after the loss of the 116 pages, they don't just go back and restart with First Nephi. They keep going from Mosiah, Alma, Third Nephi, all the way to the end, and then they come back around to the small plates and do First and Second Nephi. And so Second Nephi is actually near the end of his translation, not near the beginning. We think of it near the beginning because that's where we stop reading when we're reading on our own, and we get to the Isaiah chapters, and then we you know we stop. But uh, it's actually near the end. Um, so um, whether he had a Bible in harmony, it would really be more of a question whether he had one in Fayette. And of course, again, in Fayette, there's there's Bibles aplenty. There's Bibles everywhere. Bibles are the thing that every person has to have in their home. Uh, you know, the same way that everyone expects you to have a bathroom in your home today with, with a flushing toilet, 
people expect that you have a Bible in your home in 19th century America. Do you think that was sufficient for that one, Richard? I do actually. You, that was you, that was. He had a little bit of a look fun. on his face, like, "Is this is that it? Are you done? You you? you have <laughs> no, you, no, it's it's okay. good. Yeah, you have can't township this a enough? dead cat without hitting a Bible. Yeah, exactly. Well, so the second question, and this is a pretty intriguing question, and it's one that we've covered a little bit when we were talking about um, Doctrine and Covenants uh, section one ten. Especially, we talked about this. We talked a little bit about it with uh, Doctrine and Covenants section seventy six with the vision. So. There, there are lots of things here that um, we've we've touched on, but the question about why is it that the oh can you read word for word what uh, what he says there about the the baptism again? Yeah, you bet. That he was in because he wasn't baptized. You want to say that again? Yes, uh, by the prevalent Protestant view, the baptism was not something necessary for salvation. I get that. How do you square? That with the comments that the preacher made at Alvin's funeral, that Alvin was in hell since he had not been baptized. Okay, very good. Now, the fact that there was a Presbyterian preacher preaching at Alvin's funeral is a is is not surprising at all, because uh, Lucy is a Presbyterian, and in fact, she's a pretty devout Presbyterian, as well as uh, at least according to William Smith. Um, uh, several of Joseph's brothers and his sister. So, I mean, uh, Presbyterianism, his dad doesn't belong to a church, but if his family had to be anything, where they go most often, at least where most of them go, is to the Presbyterian church. So that's not really a surprise there. But the question you have is a great one. Look, Presbyterians do not believe that baptism is essential for salvation. Now, so why in the world would he say, well, you know, Alvin's in hell because he wasn't baptized? When we covered this before, one of the things I, I focused on is that, look, while baptism is not essential for salvation, a Presbyterian at, at the time, Presbyterians in the 19th century, very strongly believed in the predestined salvation of grace that was given by God to whoever God wanted to save. So you you weren't saved because you sat down and read the Bible that you didn't bring with you when you were going to try to translate the Book of Mormon. You weren't saved uh, because you know you you did a, a good deed for your neighbor and and that put you over the top in the merit column. You weren't saved because you sat down and you studied the Book of Revelation and you realized that Jesus was coming and it made you come back to Jesus. No, you were saved before you were ever created, because God chose to save you. Now, he shouldn't have chosen to save you, but he did. Meaning that baptism, and in fact, all other ordinances, that we would things that we would call ordinances, in fact, all other actions, have no bearing on your salvation at all. But that's because we are looking at, you know, we... We're trying to eat the cake before it's baked, essentially, before it's even mixed up. For a Calvinist, and Presbyterians are hardcore Calvinists, this grace that is freely given by God, it is given, and because it is given to the people that God has chosen to save, which is, by the way, almost nobody, if you are someone that God has chosen to give that gift of faith, you are going to feel drawn to the scriptures. See, it's exact opposite of the way that Latter-day Saints think about it. Latter-day Saints think, you know, if you just pray and read the Book of Mormon, then you'll gain a testimony that it's true. A Calvinist would say, yes, you better be reading your scriptures because God commanded you to do it. But if you don't feel that Jesus is your Savior, it's likely because God never chose to save you. You're probably one of the people that was never chosen to be given the gift of salvation. And that's the reason why you can't feel this wellspring of, of, of goodness in your heart, because you are, like all people, a corrupt sinner who deserves to burn in hell. So that's, that's an important part of this, is that for the preacher, Alvin is an adult. Alvin's an adult who's never been baptized. So no matter how Christian Alvin might consider himself, 
you can see the Presbyterian preacher saying, let me get this straight. He's in his 20s, but has never been baptized. First and foremost, that means there's a problem on his parents' side of things, right? Because in the Presbyterian church, baptism took place most often when um, when a child was born. And so what happens is at least one person has to be a member of the Presbyterian church, and then they take that child to uh, to be baptized, and the baptism is done usually by pouring or sprinkling. Again, that baptism isn't isn't salvific. It's not changing anybody's mind. But you do it as a sign that you're entering in to this covenant of grace. And that if God chose to give that grace, there, here's this parent saying, I offer up this child to God, hopeful that God will give him the grace that will save him or her. Well, there is a little bit of a caveat to this. So, so you could see the preacher could say, look, Alvin's, what, 25 when he dies? I mean, if he's 25 and still doesn't, uh, hasn't joined a church, doesn't, hasn't felt the call of Jesus Christ to get baptized the way Jesus told people to get baptized, well, how saved is he? It's not like he doesn't have opportunities to hear about the Bible. It's not like he doesn't have preachers all around him. He must never have been saved in the first place. So that's an important thing. The way that people are looking at this in the 19th century is that salvation is not something that you do. Salvation is something that God does. And that because God does it, then you change your actions. Now, I said I had a little bit of a trick up my sleeve, though, Richard. You like? Yeah, no. I know you're excited about this, aren't you? I can't wait, yeah. I do think that a little bit of the confusion here comes because we, as Latter-day Saints, misinterpret what is actually said. So, so first and foremost, that the preacher had a problem with Alvin is coming from an incredibly late source. Get, give, give me a year that you think would be a pretty late source for the 19th century, Richard. Okay, so Alvin Alvin, Alvin dies in, in in uh November of 1823. Okay. So 1830s 7 years later perhaps it's pretty, that's it's pretty late. Slight. Yeah. yeah. So now by the way, the way that you play this game, it's very important that that you understand. So the way so if I said, "Oh boy, 1950." Well, now you've ruined well, I said it. said in the 19th century. Is he get I mean, I well, guess you okay, could so say 1899. I said 1899. Yeah, right. I've ruined the game. So so I want to give a number. I want to give a number that's that's reasonable, but a number that then you come back and then you crush it with. So I'm going to say yeah. 1830 so final answer. You're letting them in behind uh the scene. That's exactly right. Yeah, this is the fourth wall. You've broken it. <laughs> That, no, it, so, so if I will, we were a magician company, it would no longer be Penn and Teller. Well, so, so my wife is the worst at this game, by the way, because the game is there's a way that you're supposed to answer this. Like I'll I'll say something like uh, this thing we did, and it was this huge deal. We closed. Can you and guess guess how much? And she's going to be right. like fifty million. And I'm like, well, and that, deal- no matter what you say after that, it's, yeah, it's it's like, well, I'm like, well, average deal size is seventy five hundred. So no, it's not fifty million. You've ruined the game, and right. I don't want to play anymore. And good night. Right. Right. It's kind of like Miami scoring seventy last week. Oh my gosh. What right. So and I was like, hey, do you know how many points the Dolphins scored? And you know, Kai was like eighty. I'm like. Son, no one's ever scored 80. So no, they didn't just score. Fine, fine. It's, it's yeah, you well, I mean, I, I saw, I saw the, um, I saw the highlights on, on Monday. Obviously, Sunday I was reading my scriptures. I didn't see any of the game, but uh, I heard. Were, were you reading your scriptures because grace had called you to it? <laughs> it well, I, was reading, to I was reading Isaiah and wondering, I wonder if Joseph had a Bible. Uh, because of, because of Larry's question. That's right. Um, so. The uh, uh, the source from this, first of all, is kind of a rough source for me. Um, John C. Bennett. 
Not that rough. No, 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 no. Oh, oh, for the days where we, if we want to do a six parter, we could just do it on John C. Bennett and how much I hate him. Oh, so can I guess, can I guess then perhaps the one that is this uh, Samuel Smith? No, we love Samuel Smith. He's amazing. Okay. Uh, is it um, one of the Smith brothers then? Yes, it is one of the Smith brothers. Okay. Let's see. I'll give you a hint. He and Joseph got in a fist fight once. Hiram. No, nope, not her. But didn't didn't he and Hiram get in a fight? No, him and William Smith. Oh, William Smith. I, yeah, I could have we'll, swore that you, I've. I got to go back and listen to the three years of episodes. I could have swore that he got in a, in a. No, it was it was William. It was William. Okay. So William is the only surviving Smith boy um, <clears throat> after Samuel dies because all of the others have, have died before that, and of course Joseph and Hiram are murdered. Well, William Smith gives an interview. Um, at the time he's, you know, he's affiliated with the reorganized church, right? And it's his, uh, you know, nephew that is, uh, the one running the church, Joseph Smith III. Well, this is in 1894, January 27th of 1894. I was close when I said 1899 is a joke. Wow. Yeah, it is, uh, it is, uh, not recently um well it's actually january 13th because it's published in the uh in the um uh the newspaper the zion's enzyme newspaper uh which is a reorganized uh church publication and then it's republished in the deseret news so i mean i i don't know how many people are you know reading the zion standard you know newspaper, i still get but- it I oh, still, you, I still okay so you're, you're right now you're reading it i think that they just threw it at my door yeah <laughs> anyway, so 1894, okay? Wow. That's how far away from these events it is. Alvin dies in 1823, okay? Yeah. So so we are 71 years removed. And our witness to the fact is is William Smith who, you know, William, you know, he lives a long time, so because he lives a long time, um, uh, he, he has a lot of opportunities to talk about things. You know what I mean? Like, uh, be, because he lives a long time, he comments on things cause he's asked about them all the time. But a lot of these things are going on when he's not super old. Right. So, I mean, he's, he's like nine when Joseph Smith has his first vision, he's five years younger than Joseph Smith. Okay. So look, he would have been cognizant. He certainly would have been old enough. He would have been a teenager um, when uh, when Alvin, you know, when Alvin died. I guess he would have been barely, maybe he'd only been twelve, uh, depending. Um, so you are taking what a twelve-year-old perceives of this horrible, tragic event, pushing it seventy-one years into the future, and then you're getting that commentary on it now. Does that mean that it's not true? No, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that means it's not true, but it does mean that you have to be a little bit careful with sources that are much, that that are reminiscences of that far back. I mean, I don't remember exactly, uh, you know, what, you know, what conversation Richard and I both had about politics when we first met one another. I'm sure we had one maybe, but I don't, I don't remember the nature of it. I'm sure it was. Why can't we get Ross Perot back up there? It was, you know what? Yeah, actually it, it was probably Bo Grites. Actually. It was probably Grites. some Bo oh Grites because we're both from Idaho. And so you're like, you know what? It's all Bo Grites. Uh, what was the we 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 did joke about Ross Perot actually because in I, Idaho we got like like forty percent of the vote or yeah, something yeah. ridiculous yeah and Idaho you can't find a person that voted for him yeah it's hilarious yeah with with Ross Perot he's the only person in American history to win like twenty percent of the vote that not a single person ever voted for you can't find anybody they are scarce just like it's pretty hard to find the. Uh, Members of the Green Party who voted for Jill Stein uh, in in two thousand. There's not a lot of them. Not a lot of them who, who come forward. I think it was Nader. I think it was Nader. Oh, it was Nader. That's right. It's Jill Stein later with uh, yeah. With, uh, um, 
But anyway, um, uh, so in this, this is an interview. Now, now it's published posthumously. William Smith dies in 1893. And so this is like the last interview of, of William Smith. So it's our last time to hear from him. And so as he's talking about things, he's bringing things up. He says, Hiram, Samuel, and Catherine and mother were members of the Presbyterian church. My father would not join. He did not like it because Reverend Stockton had preached at my brother's funeral sermon, had preached my brother's funeral sermon and intimated very strongly that he had gone to hell for Alvin was not a church member, but he was a good boy and my father did not like it. Now it goes on where he says, um, that Reverend Stockton is one of the ones that is leading the, um, leading the, the call to sermonizing that leads, uh, Joseph Smith to have the, the questions that he does. Of course, that's a little bit out of order, right? Because, uh, Joseph has already had the first vision by the time Alvin dies, or, you know, maybe, uh, the person recording the interview too is also, I mean, they don't know all of these events. So maybe, you know, William Smith, like we are wont to do when we are old, uh, you know, is kind of bouncing back and forth between, between things. That's, that's also a, a factor that, you know, he could be giving an aside. Well, you know, they were all uh, Presbyterians, you know, no dad never joined the Presbyterians because he was so mad about what happened with Alvin. And, and that, that, that doesn't have to be absolutely in order of when the first vision was at any rate. You'll notice a very a, a very particular difference there from the question that was asked and what is actually in the source. What's actually in the source? For Alvin was not a church member. Now, being a member of the church is very different than uh, than baptism, but to a Latter Day Saint, they're the same thing. Because a Latter-day Saint, we see baptism as so essential to to be a part of a church and as an essential ordinance, you, you aren't a member of our church without being baptized. Similarly, you don't have you haven't made that first covenant that you need to make, that first ordinance, without baptism. So I think then what happens is we kind of fast forward it to what Joseph says um, about when, when he has his vision of the celestial kingdom, right? Joseph has his vision of the celestial kingdom. Most of this, or much of it now is, um, you know, uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 137. Um, but he talks about what, what he sees when he's there. And there, the part of it that is the most surprising to him is that he sees Alvin there. Um, and, and seeing Alvin there, he, he has to wonder, how is this even, how is this even possible? And, and in fact, we, we've talked about it before that he uses that terminology that I marveled that he'd obtained to such a kingdom. And what are the, what are the phraseologies that Joseph uses there? He says, uh, that he sees Abraham and Michael and my father and mother, my brother Alvin that has long since slept and marveled how it was that he'd obtained an inheritance in that kingdom, talking about the celestial kingdom, seeing that he had departed this life before the Lord had set his hand to gather Israel a second time and had not been baptized for the remission of his sins. Now that's coming from Joseph because of Doctrine and Covenant section 76. Doctrine and Covenant section 76 says that in order to obtain the celestial kingdom, you have to belong to the church of the firstborn, that you have to be a member of the church. Well, how are you a member of the church in, 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 in Latter-day Saint theology? Well, you get baptized to be a member of the church. In wider Protestant thought, baptism can serve as the initiation ritual into the church, but it actually might not. In fact, in Presbyterianism, especially it might not. Why? Well, if you were listening to our premium content or 
quickly ran out and signed up to serve a service mission somewhere. So you can then claim that you don't have the funds to pay for the, you know, to, to glut ourselves on our labor. That, that will work by the way, send me and, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to send the, uh, the bootlegged, uh, Google drive, uh, access link to any missionary. To any, to any missionary. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of, uh, within reason. We're going to call that within reason. You know what? We, we, <laughs> we also want, we also want more people to sign up for our Palmyra tour. If you're, uh, uh, if you are considering going, we've got some great people signed up. I mean, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm already all kinds of excited. So if you've been thinking about going to those church history sites, you should come with us next year. Last year was more fun than I've I've had in, in much of my life. Uh, and this year, uh, just by the people alone who signed up, I, I, I don't want to tip any scales, but there's a chance that a, a certain peace officer who has perhaps at times caused uh, in, criminals to listen to the podcast as penance while they're being driven to the Huskow, um, he may or may not be joining us on that. That's just a little bit of a telegraph there. Yeah, how about that? It is funny. It is funny. It's like, hey, we're going to see all these sites. Hey, come and spend time with us, whatever. No one interested. Hey, Rock, you know, Officer R might come. Uh, oh, you know what? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so um, if you were listening on the premium, one of the things we we talked about is this, th- one of the major early uh reactions to the Reformation, the Radical Reformation, as it's called, is that of the Anabaptists. Now, the word Anna uh, in front of Baptist, the, the part of the whole point of Anabaptists is they were radical reformers, meaning they wanted all tradition to be gone entirely. If it doesn't specifically say it in the Bible, we are not going to believe it. It's not just a matter. I mean, they're taking Luther, who says, you know, you got to show me in the Bible for me to believe, and they're taking it to its full conclusion, right? Because Luther's still going to argue for infant baptism, and he's going to argue it for the basis of, well, look, the scriptures talk about the fact that, you know, what you bring, you bring children to the Lord to be circumcised when they're eight, you know, eight days old. There are multiple places in the scripture that talk about an entire household being baptized. Of course, there's got to be some kind of child or infant in some of those households. Therefore, infant baptism is the way to go. But it, the Bible doesn't specifically say infants were baptized. And so one of the arguments of these Anabaptists was that if you had a baptism that was not done when you were an adult, when you were confessing your faith, then it's an illegitimate baptism, that you are not actually a Christian, and that uh, you have not been following God. Now, again, this does get a little dicey because none of these groups believe baptism is essential for salvation. They believe grace from God is essential for salvation. You have faith, and the grace of Christ saves you. But they see baptism as the sign that you've received that grace. Of course, if you reject baptism, then I guess you aren't one of the people that God gave his grace to. But, but because joining the church, and what, they, what, what sometimes Protestants would call the invisible church or, or the wider church, it's not about a sect. It's about being a proper Christian, Right. When you become a Christian, when you accept that Jesus is your Savior, you join the wider, quote, Christian church. And so then whether I'm a Presbyterian or a Methodist, it makes no difference. I'm still saved by Jesus. I've still accepted Jesus. Now, of course, they claim that those two things don't matter at all. And yet some of the funnest things in the world to do is listen to a Presbyterian and a Methodist preacher in a debate. Uh it, all that matters is we have faith. All that matters is we have faith. This person's teaching false doctrines because he's not teaching the right way of pre- prevenient grace, right? I mean, that kind of stuff. Um, but this, uh, these Anabaptists were adamant. No, a confession of faith 
has to be made when you are cognizant, when you're an adult. It cannot be when you're a child. There's a lot of reasons that infant baptism is is important in these early European states. I mean, think of the problem as a leader of a country. If you are trying to use the church as a way to buttress power and stability in the country, and people don't become members of that church when they're born, but they just, they, they aren't members of it. Well, that can undermine all kinds of things because not only is the church saying, Hey, you need to support the monarchy. The church is also receiving taxes from the government in order to fund itself. Well, it's a real problem if you've got a bunch of people that aren't a part of that, but are a part of your nation. So the the practice of infant baptism, which was already going on in Catholicism, it doesn't skip a beat for even radical reformers like Martin Luther, like John Calvin, like John Knox, who's the founder of the Presbyterian Church. They see infant baptism as being biblical. And again, part of the reason why you don't have to put too fine a point on it is ultimately baptism is not what saves you. Ultimately, faith saves you, right? So so arguing about the proper way to baptize is, is uh, you know, it's a fun argument for high theology, but it's not something that will determine whether or not someone is saved or not saved. Now, now a Catholic wouldn't say the same thing. A Catholic would say, no, a baptism is essential for salvation. You, you have to have that along with grace and works. You, you have to have all those things. Well, for these Anabaptists, they argued, no, all, all baptisms that were done when someone was an infant, which was nearly all baptisms in Europe at the time, they were illegitimate baptisms. All of these people who are running around who think they are Christians, who think that they've made a sign to God because they were baptized, they aren't really Christians. Anabaptists were also pacifists. Many of them also rejected all authority that wasn't God. And so uh, I'm going to reject the king and his authority because you should have no one in front of you but God. And I don't recognize the king's authority. I only recognize God's authority. Anabaptists were not popular, is what I'm trying to say. You don't Europe. say. Yeah. Um, and they, it's funny, they are hated by everyone. Well, so, yeah, so let me get this straight. I, I think I can kind of piece this together why they might be hated. Hey, I know you think you're saved. You're going to hell. Hey, we don't recognize any government. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, I think I, I can piece together yeah. why they're. Hey, I'm not going to fight in your war because <laughs> right. you, you aren't a real uh, king because the only real king is God. Um, so, so Anabaptists are thoroughly hated and uh, it actually culminates in a huge uh, debacle in, in, in Germany, in, in Westphalia, um, in Western Germany. Um in in Munster, which is a city there, where Anabaptists, these radical Protestants, gained control of the city. Like they won the, the election of the city offices. It's not like they went in and stormed the city. They won the election. And what did they do? They expelled all the Catholics from the city. Well, the bishop uh, uh, of Munster, he organized a bunch of forces. And the Lutherans, uh, local Lutheran Germans, as well as Catholic Germans, all go put this Anabaptist city under siege, right? So there's what, there was only one thing that could unify Catholics and Lutherans in the 1500s, and it was how much they hated Anabaptists. And that's, that, and that's only because the Mormons didn't exist yet. Well, look, well, so at, we actually had a friend tell us this week who, that, who served a mission in Germany that people accuse them of being Anabaptists uh, because Latter-day Saints believe, because of Doctrine and Covenant Section 22, that you have to be rebaptized. So we read Doctrine and Covenant Section 22, and we don't we don't bat an eye at it. We're like, yeah, of course you got to be baptized to join the church. That's so yeah, that's the way you do it. So everybody's just joining the church, right? I don't know why we become a. Yeah, I don't why, know why we, why we still Jersey mobster. <laughs> The moment we join the church, we become a mobster. That's why. 
Uh, everybody knows that. Yeah, you know, you got to get baptized. Just what you got to do. Uh, but uh, that is that's because you're a Latter Day Saint. That's because you have always associated baptism not only with this first ordinance that's essential for salvation, but you've also always associated it with church membership. But that's not actually the case for these early churches. And it's actually still not even the case today. When you talk about baptism, let me go to, I'm going to go to Presbyterian Church USA. Okay. So this is the, one of the larger Presbyterian church uh, sects in, in the United States. This is today, by the way. So this is, uh, you know, there's going to be some differences, but it, it's basing it on um, rules that have been in place for a long time. Baptism, this, I'm quoting them, baptism is received only once. There are many times in worship, however, when believers acknowledge the grace of God continually at work. As they participate in the celebration of another's baptism, as they experience the sustaining nurture of the Lord's Supper, and as they reaffirm the commitments made at baptism, they confess their ongoing need of God's grace and pledge anew their obedience to God's covenant in Christ. The point is to determine exactly why is the person asking for a rebaptism. Is it that they do not believe that they've been legitimately baptized? And then it points to the church's book of order where it says, we receive the good news that as there is one body, there is one baptism. The Presbyterian Church USA recognizes all baptism with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit administered by other Christian churches. Now, you're going to love this, though. Guess what? There's a caveat, a parenthetical. What do you think that that says? In that parenthetical, I I can't even. No, you've got to love it. Okay, I'm sure I will. Okay, look, we accept all baptisms administered by other Christian churches. Parenthetical, for those coming to the church having been baptized by Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, or other questionable sects, see the other available information concerning those quote-unquote churches. Well, that's... So, first of all, top billing. That's great. We were first in that. We did beat the Jehovah's Witnesses out. Now, it wasn't with our actual name. Again, I am not on, like... I'm not on, like, a subreddit of Presbyterianism. (laughs) I'm on (laughs) PresbyterianMission.org, the Presbyterian Church USA. This is not... This is the actual Presbyterian Church. Although it would be hilarious if there was someone just typing that in there right now, you know, changing the website while I'm on it. Someone's hacked in. But yeah, so that's great. For those coming to the church baptized by Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, or any other questionable sect, well, then, well, that's different because they weren't actually baptized into the Christian church. A very good example of how, even though the Protestant Reformation is so incredibly radical and it changes so much, I mean, it's pretty hard to, to to see any similarities between a hardcore Presbyterian and a Catholic. They still have one thing in common, and that is they accept those early Christian creedal statements. And why are Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons questionable sects? Because we don't accept the, 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 the Council of Nicaea. We don't accept Trinitarian theology. Neither do Jehovah's Witnesses. And so you couldn't possibly have been baptized into the Christian church because we've decided a Christian church means anyone who accepts the Nicene Creed. This kind of harkens all the way back to that podcast we did quite a long time ago about whether or not Mormons were Christians. And, you know, if you want to find out, you're going to have to go listen to that podcast, accidentally sign up for the premium content and probably a tour while you're there. And then you can find out whether or not you're a Christian. But that this so very specifically, it's important to understand that for a Presbyterian then and now, almost everyone's baptized as an infant. That doesn't make them members of the church. For a Presbyterian, what makes you a member of the church 
is that you attend the church, you uh, feel a call to this grace, and and you express that and a desire to be a part of it. It's more than just not being baptized, because that Presbyterian minister was probably baptized as an infant, right? Now, apparently Alvin wasn't, but joining the church was much, much, much more than just getting baptized, because almost every Presbyterian convert had already been baptized as an infant, and they were not re-baptized to join Presbyterianism. If you were once an Episcopalian or an Anglican, member of the Church of England in America, which a lot of Americans were early on, and you became a Presbyterian, they didn't re-baptize you because you've already been baptized. You are always part of Christ's church. You were just believing wrong parts of its theology, and Presbyterianism is, is more accurate, more accurate representation of the proper theology. But, you know, the fact that you had accepted Jesus as an Anglican means you were still saved. God still gave you that grace. Um, so I think that that's actually something that I've never actually heard anyone really focus on before. I think what happens is we hear Joseph talking about how stunned he is to see Alvin in the celestial kingdom because DNC 76 says you have to be baptized into the church of the firstborn to go there. Joseph says, how could he have gone there without being baptized? And then we mix it with this Reverend Stockton story where Reverend Stockton says, Alvin wasn't a member of the church. And we say, well, the only way you become a member of the church is to get baptized. And so we actually, we fuse both stories together to where it is the, the preacher saying Alvin was never baptized. So therefore he's in hell. The preacher, look, if William Smith is remembering correctly, which he might not, and of course, William Smith is completely jaded by Latter-day Saint theology, even though he leaves our church, he is a prominent member of the reorganized church who still were teaching that baptism is essential. So maybe that's playing with it as well. But if what William Smith says is a real representation of what Reverend Stockton said at Alvin's funeral, it's it's entirely likely that he didn't mention Alvin being baptized at all. That what he mentioned was Alvin clearly must not have been predestined to salvation. Had he been, had God chosen before he ever created Alvin to save him and then placed him in this Christian nation where there are Bibles falling off the back of trucks everywhere, then certainly Alvin by the time he was 25, would have felt the call to grace that would have led him to join probably the Presbyterian church, but some other church. I mean, don't you have to ask the question? If Lucy's felt a call to be a Presbyterian, and Sophronius felt a call to be a Presbyterian, and Hiram's felt a call to be a Presbyterian, and Samuel's felt a call to be a Presbyterian, why hasn't Alvin? He's the oldest of those kids. So why hasn't he felt the call? Well, he hasn't felt the call because God never intended to save him. Now that's pretty, look, I'm not defending this guy. That's a pretty rough thing to give as a funeral sermon, right? I I don't know that, you know, anyone's ever like, you know what? I'm going to give the eulogy. Well, I can tell you about Bill, the adulterer. He... Uh, don't shed a tear on that guy. Um, uh, he, he's a real problem. Uh, but so um, the, I, I think that, that what's going on more is this manifestation that for someone who believes in predestined salvation, if someone dies and leaves this earth and they don't appear to have felt this, this, powerful call to grace. And a way that you manifest that call is by joining yourself to the Christian church. Well, then they're most likely not saved. It's interesting that Father Smith's response is a much more works-based response, right? He's trying to tell me that Alvin went to hell because he didn't join a church, but Alvin was a good boy, right? Father Smith's response is, you think he wasn't called to grace because he didn't 
line up to, to give you money in your church. I think he was saved by grace because of who he was. Yeah. You know, so Garrett, this, this brings up um, a scripture that, that we read a certain way in the new Testament, Mark 16, 16, and a, and a verse that Christians read, read the same verse. And we both say, see, it yeah. defends our mm-hmm. argument. Right. So I, I remember the first time this happened to me, you know, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. I'm paraphrasing generally, but um, but I, we would say, see, look, baptism is is required for salvation, and they would say, well, if you believe, it's well, not. then you are, yeah, you believe, then you are baptized, and if you if you don't believe, baptism hasn't baptism isn't mentioned in the second part. I, I remember that uh, it was one of the biggest frustrations. Me not understanding that point that you're making on my mission was a great source of frustration because we were talking past each other and not understanding what the other was saying. Now, of course, Latter Day Saints they have that ambiguity removed by the Lord in the book of Mormon. When the Lord completes the second half of that, when he speaks to the Nephites and says, and whosoever believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And whosoever believeth not and is not baptized shall right. be damned. So the Lord actually, he, he completes that couplet on the other end when he's speaking to the Nephites. But I think all of this really stems from the fact that for Latter-day Saints, we are unique among non-Catholics. Part of the reason why we aren't very good Protestants is uh, we're unique in believing that baptism is an essential ordinance, not just what we do, not just as a signifier. Look, I am not trying to denigrate this. Look, people freaked out in Europe at the Anabaptists. They slaughtered Anabaptists by the hundreds and by the thousands. Uh, in fact, if you go to Munster today, you can still see hanging from the church the three cages that the bodies of the leaders of the Anabaptist rebellion there were kept in after they were murdered and hung on the side of the church. Don't worry, they only left the bodies in there for 50 years as a warning. Hey, you want to don't be an apostate. Yeah. Yeah. Next time, be okay with people's baptism. So it's actually a very, it's actually a very radical part of, of Protestantism. Now, of course, we do all know of the, the Baptist sect and they are going to be similar. They are similar going to say, you have to be baptized as an adult to show that you've made this commitment to Jesus. By the time Baptists come around though, the world has gone forward another 200 years. And while Baptists are hated and treated like garbage in several places, most especially, you want to know where Baptists were treated the worst in America? Massachusetts. No, in the American South, actually. In the American South, well, I mean, okay, well, initially. If you're in Maine. I mean. It, initially, when they're kicking Roger Williams out, is that what you. They yeah, don't kill sure. Roger Williams? They're, okay, they don't, well, they don't I, try guess, to I guess. Yeah, I guess my bar was too low. Uh, it needs to be to murder. Okay. Uh, for for religious bigotry? Yeah, that bar. <laughs> if you're trying to figure out where people are religiously bigoted, and you've got murder. That, yeah, that bar's got to be buried somewhere on the plains. I mean, it is it is low. It is a low bar. Yeah, Roger Williams is kicked out of uh, Massachusetts Bay Colony for for not accepting the you know the Congregational's Puritan church structure. And, um, but the American South today, we, we think of it as like the land of evangelical Christians and Baptists, but in, in, um, in early America, it is very Anglican. It's settled by people who are members of the church of England. Episcopalianism is the, the, the religion of the upper class in the South at the time. And so, uh, you know, Baptists struggle, but they, and, and some of them are beaten. I mean, Baptists are treated poorly. There are tarring and featherings. Baptists are thrown in jail. I mean, there's, there is a lot of problem in, in the 1700s with Baptists in America. Um, but there's a reason why, uh, our friend had some, you know, well-read Germans telling him that you Mormons are a bunch of Anabaptists. 
we don't agree with Anabaptists on the things that they believe. I'm not saying that we are a bunch of Mennonites. Mennonites, by the way, are major uh, Anabaptist sect. But we do believe that you have to be rebaptized. And our rebaptism goes even beyond what other Christian groups who, who, who accept rebaptism go. Because for us, baptism is essential both to be a member of the church and as something that's essential for salvation. For these other Protestant groups, most of them, you join the group through other means, not baptism, because baptism is done once. If it's done when you're a baby, you're baptized. So hopefully that helps answer that question. Um, I know that we, one thing that we love to do is to dive into William Smith questions. That's uh, he's, he's our favorite. Um, but we will see you again next week where we will answer another question of, of a pressing nature. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.